Chapter 7 of Things Seen in Florence by Elizabeth Grierson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 Fasts and Festivals. Nearly seven hundred years have gone by since the little poor man of Assisi taught the humble peasant folk of Greccio the truths of the Nativity by turning the corner of the village church into a stable and presenting before their eyes a realistic representation of the events that took place in Bethlehem on the first Christmas Eve. It was a happy inspiration which has borne fruit among the simple Latin races who happily for themselves have not that pride of intellect which refuses to be taught like little children by pictures. For no one can go as we must certainly go if we are in Florence on Christmas Eve into some of the dimly lit churches and watch the groups of people, fathers and mothers and little children, stealing forward to gaze with tender reverent eyes at the presepio or crib which has been erected in a corner near the altar, or in a chapel, without feeling that to them, at least, the representation, grotesque though it may sometimes be, of the crib and the holy child, watched over by St. Mary and St. Joseph, and adored by the shepherds, while ox and ass look on, is a fitting preparation for the great festival of the Incarnation. On Christmas Day, everyone who can afford to do so is expected to give a ceppo, literally a log, to every waiter, chambermaid, servant or tradesman with whom they have come into close contact. Of course the expression is synonymous with the English Christmas box of Boxing Day. The word is interesting as it refers to the great Yule log, which from the earliest pagan times up to a century or two ago the head of the house was wont to place on the lari or fire dogs on christmas eve and after having sprinkled it with some wine from the family cup set on fire in the hope that it would smoulder during the intervening twelve days till the epiphany epiphany is the children's festival when befana visits them in the same way as santa claus visits the children of other lands on christmas eve but Befana is not nearly such a lovable person as good St. Nicholas. She is an old woman who is supposed to live in the chimney all the year round, except on the eve of the festival of the three kings, when she descends from her black hiding-place and visits the bedsides of the children when they are fast asleep. If they have been good during the year, she fills their stockings with toys. If naughty, they are rewarded with a mere handful of toys and a tiny birch broom. It naturally follows that Befana is dreaded rather than loved in Florentine nurseries, for the children are threatened with her displeasure whenever they are disobedient or troublesome, and as it is supposed the noise of trumpets and bells will frighten her away, the children go to the numerous street stalls, which are erected everywhere between Christmas and Epiphany and spend their soldi on the whistles, horns and tiny clay bells which are to be found there, and return home happy, feeling that they can bid defiance to the black-faced bogey, while their parents haunt the same stalls in search of cheap toys with which to fill the little stockings. On St. Antonio's Day, January 17, the cabmen send little flat loaves of bread, pane de San Antonio, to their patrons and patronesses, and some of them take their horses to church to be blessed. 
From Christmas to Shrove Tuesday is a time of festivity, when rich and poor alike indulge in gaieties of various kinds. But when Lent begins, all entertainments stop, and the only recreation for the next six weeks is on Sundays at the nut fairs. These fairs are quite a feature of the penitential season, and in bygone years were inaugurated by a fair held early on Ash Wednesday morning under the loggia of San Paulino in the Piazza Santa Maria Novella, at which all kinds of dried fruits and cereals were sold, the idea being that on that morning thrifty housewives were eager to lay in a stock of figs, olives, raisins, etc., to vary the Lenten fare. But this fare has been discontinued, and such purchases must be made in ordinary shops, or at the nut fairs, which are held on Sundays at different gates of the city. These nut fairs form a great meeting place for the members of the artisan classes and the peasants from the surrounding districts, so much so that they are regarded as affording the most favourable opportunities which the lads and lasses have of commencing their courtships and bringing them to a happy conclusion. The first three fairs, which are known respectively as the Fiera dei Curiosi, the Fair of the Curious, the Fiera dei Furiosi, the Fair of the Furious, and the Fiera dei Namorati, the Fair of the Lovers, are held in the Piazza San Gallo, just beside the ancient gateway of that name. The fourth fair, which falls on Mid-Lent Sunday, has no special appellation and is held at the Porta del Prato. The fifth fair, the Fiera dei Contrati, takes place at the Porta Romana and is the most important of all, as any marriages which have been arranged are announced there, the marriage contracts settled and congratulations received. The sixth fair is known as the Fair of the Rejected, the idea being, perhaps, that those who have not had the good fortune to appear under the guise of betrothed persons on the previous Sunday may, at this last festal gathering, have another chance. It is held at the Porto San Frediano. At all these fairs, nuts and almonds are the principal commodities offered for sale on the gaily draped stalls, but other things are sold as well, dried fruits and little cakes, which, owing to the Lenten season, are baked entirely without butter. Chief among those are maritozzi, or Roman buns, cheap brown biscuits called quaresimali, and another variety of biscuits, berigidisi, which are strongly flavoured with aniseed, and which are baked on the spot in little portable ovens. In mid-Lent comes the day of Scala, when children with clever fingers cut little ladders out of cardboard or soft perforated paper, then run out into the streets to play pranks on unwary passers-by. They carefully whiten one side of a cardboard ladder with chalk, then stamp its impress on the black coat of some respectable citizen, and pin a fluttering paper ladder to a lady's skirt. Then they dart off with a mocking cry, La! La! You've got it! You've got it! Only to repeat the trick at the corner of the next street. From the point of view of ecclesiastical customs, Holy Week and Easter are the most interesting of all the year to spend in Florence. A great many of these customs prevail in other parts of Italy, as they are the ordinary ceremonies connected with the ritual of the Roman Church, but one, the Scopio del Caro, which takes place on Easter even, is unique, being purely local, 
and people from all parts of the world try, if they are anywhere in the neighbourhood, to be in Florence on that day in order to witness it. Preparations for the Easter festival begin in Passion Week, or even in the week preceding it, for if at that time we are visiting any house in the city, large or small, rich or poor, we would be liable to stumble on a spring cleaning. The reason for this being not so much the season of the year, as the fact that in Passion Week every parish priest visits not only every house in his parish, but every room in that house, blessing it and sprinkling it with holy water. This is known as the blessing of the houses, and naturally every housewife wishes to have her domestic domain in apple pie order for the occasion. Towards the end of Passion Week, we see numbers of barocci entering the town, laden not with their usual load of wine and flagons, but with branches of silvery olives. These, together with quantities of palms, are taken into the Duomo or the church of the Santissima Annunziata, in the piazza of that name, and piled up in front of the altar. On Palm Sunday morning, before Mass, they are blessed by the celebrating priest, and distributed to the other clergy and to the members of the congregation. When this part of the service is over, an imposing procession takes place. All the clergy, with olive branches in their hands, rise from their seats in the choir and move slowly down the church while the accounts of our Lord's entry into Jerusalem from the various Gospels are sung by the choir. The procession does not halt at the west door, but proceeds straight out of church into the porch, and the door is closed behind it. Then the choir sing the Palm Sunday hymn, All glory, Lord, and honour, while the clergy reply with the refrain outside. When the hymn is finished, the doors are once more opened, and the gorgeously vested priests move slowly back to their places. Of course there are a great many more palms and olives blessed than are distributed in church, and those that are over are sold on the steps, for everyone likes to have an olive benedetto stuck up in his house or barn or stable, to protect it from evil influences throughout the coming year. Another and more mundane preparation is to be found in the Fiera di Cavalli e Bovini, or cattle show, which is held in the markets outside the barrier of San Jacopo on the Wednesday in Holy Week, when cattle which have been fattened for the Easter feast, just as they are fattened for Christmas in England, are exposed for sale. On the afternoon of that day, the first of the solemn services of the Passion is held. This is the Matutino delle Tenebre, and it consists of the Matins and Lords proper to Maundy Thursday, which are said on the previous day, and are spoken of as the matins of darkness, because of the tradition that the early Christians were in the habit of holding offices of prayer in the catacombs at dead of night. This service lasts for three hours, and is most impressive. During the singing of the Benedictus, the altar lights are extinguished one by one, until only one, which represents Christ, remains and that is removed from the altar and hidden behind it, in order to typify our Lord's death and burial. When in this way the church has been rendered utterly dark and gloomy, the clergy and congregation beat the floor with slender rods of willow, which can be bought outside, thus producing the noise known as the strepitacula, which is supposed to represent the upheaval of natural forces at the final hour of the crucifixion. 
Afterwards the one tiny light is restored to the altar, and the worshippers disperse in reverent silence. During Mass on Holy Thursday, all the bells of the churches ring out in a sudden burst of sound. Then all is quiet, and no bell is heard again in the city until two days later, when they commence to ring at midday on Easter even. During the celebration of the Maundy Thursday Mass in the cathedral, the ceremony takes place of the blessing of the holy oils. The three oils, the oil of the sick, used in extreme unction, the oil of catechumens, used in baptism, confirmation and ordination, and the oil of chrism, which is a mixture of oil and balsam, and is used in the consecration of bishops and in other ceremonies, are placed in front of the archbishop in three ampoules, or jars. That dignitary, assisted by twelve priests and seven deacons, representing the twelve apostles and seven deacons of the early church, reads prayers of exorcism and blessing over the oils, which are then set apart for sacred purposes. In the afternoon, the whole city is astir, for as has been the custom in Italy from medieval times, the sepulturi, or sepulchres, are formed in the principal churches on Monday Thursday, and all good Catholics consider it a duty to visit seven of them, to make the visita delle chiese, as it is called. Each sepulchre represents a flower-decked tomb in a garden, in the middle of which the host is placed, surrounded by lights and the emblems of the passion. A certain kind of silvery grass, known as vecchia, is largely used in the decoration of these gardens, and, as we look at its strange white colour, we wonder what species of plant it is, and where it comes from. The fact is, that it is grown for the purpose in dark vaults or cellars, where no light can enter, and in this way it acquires this strangely bleached hue. In some churches we also find the figure of the dead Christ, exposed so that the faithful may pray and meditate beside it, and it is a pretty sight to see the little children, some of them so young that they can hardly toddle, coming with their mothers or elder brothers and sisters, to kiss the wounds, and then kneel down and say their baby prayers. Another interesting ceremony goes on in several of the churches on this busy afternoon. This is the lavanda, or washing of the feet, in commemoration of that first feet-washing which took place in the upper room at Jerusalem. If we would see the ceremony at its best, we will take up our places in the Duomo in good time, for the service begins at half-past three, and, as it is conducted within the marble choir, every spot in the church where anything can be seen is very quickly occupied. It is desirable to secure a position on the south side of the altar, if possible, as the proceedings can be seen best from that side of the choir. As it is somewhat difficult to see into the choir at all, most of the onlookers stand on chairs, which can be rented for a few soldi, and even from this coin of vantage we may count ourselves fortunate if we catch a glimpse of the thirteen old men, each one of whom represents an apostle, including St. Matthias, who are sitting in state on a platform, clothed in loose white gowns, and glorying in the brand-new boots and socks which they have just donned in the archbishop's palace which adjoins the cathedral. Presently the archbishop walks in, gorgeous in cope and mitre, and attended by a group of clergy. He seats himself in his episcopal chair under its canopy of purple, while a sermon is preached, 
during which the onlookers get down from their perches and rest. When the oration is finished, the rush of movement is once more heard, for everyone jumps upon his chair again. Each of the old men uncovers a foot. Then the archbishop and his assistants move slowly across the platform. One priest carries a silver basin, another a ewer, and a third a napkin. Each foot is in turn held over the basin. The archiepiscopal fingers sprinkle it with water from the ewer. The third priest dries it with the napkin, and so the ceremony wears to a close. Besides the new boots and socks, each of the old men receives a loaf of bread and a piece of money, so we can well imagine that they go home quite satisfied with the parts they have been called on to play. The services on Good Friday morning are entirely devotional, but in the afternoon we can, if we will, see the miraculous crucifix of San Gualberto uncovered at Santa Trinita. To this crucifix an interesting story is attached. It is said that on the evening of Good Friday, A.D. 1003, Giovanni Gualberto, second son of the Lord of Petraia, was riding up the hill of San Miniato with an aching and passionate heart, which was burning to avenge the death of his elder brother, whom he dearly loved, and who had recently been murdered. On the way he met the perpetrator of the foul deed, and would fain have killed him. But the wretched man fell on his knees and begged for mercy in the name of him who on that day died for his enemies. The young Count, being a Christian man, could not refuse the plea, and passed on, leaving him unhurt. But feeling rather restless and unhappy, he entered the church of San Miniato, where the crucifix of which we speak hung. He knelt before it in prayer, and lo, to his awe and astonishment, the figure bowed its head towards him in approval. Gualberta was so impressed by what he took to be a direct message from God that he left the world, and eventually founded the order of the reformed Benedictines on the height of Vallombrosa. The miraculous crucifix remained in the church of San Miniato for six hundred years. Then, in A.D. 1671, it was removed to Santa Trinita, where it hangs concealed in the chapel of San Paolo, except on Good Friday afternoons, and other rare occasions when it is exposed to the gaze of the faithful. If one has enough energy left after viewing the various religious ceremonies of the day in Florence, it is worth while in the evening to take a tram from the Piazza del Duomo and go out to the little village of Grassina, which lies in a country valley about six miles distant. For it is here that the famous procession of Gesù Morto, or the dead Redeemer, is held year by year, as Good Friday comes round. When we reach the village, we by no means find ourselves in an atmosphere of peace, for a fair has been held in the afternoon, and the tiny piazza is still crowded with stalls, while vehicles of all kinds keep pouring in from Florence and the surrounding districts. But upon the hillsides all is quiet, and, as the clock strikes seven, a picturesque, and yet, in a way, solemn procession, leaves a little church standing high up among the vineyards, and lit on its way by torches, winds down the slope towards where we stand. First come Roman soldiers on horseback, wearing imitation armour and long cloaks. Then come baby angels and slim young girls dressed in white, carrying lighted tapers. 
Following them walk a company of married women, clad in deepest mourning and veiled in black. Then appears a statue of the Meta Dolorosa, borne on the shoulders of sturdy contadini. Behind it walk the parish priests, accompanied by various guilds of men and the village choir, chanting the Miserere in mournful strains. A huge black canopy next appears in view, borne unsteadily by a dozen countrymen. As it passes, every head is uncovered, every knee bent, for under it, on a bier, carried shoulder high, is the figure of the dead Christ, with its pallid face and gaping wounds. Other companies of men, mourning matrons and singing boys, follow, and last of all, the village band brings up the rear. All those who take part in this procession are simple peasant folk, and the details of it may seem crude and even tawdry to the critical outsider, but with the Easter moon shining down on us, and the soft grey shimmer of olive leaves surrounding us on every side, a certain atmosphere is created, which makes it easier to throw one's thoughts back to a tomb in the garden of Joseph of Arimathea, where never man had yet lain. One needs must be early astir on Easter even, if one would witness the most interesting festa of the whole year, that of the Scopio del Caro. This ceremony is closely connected with the usual blessing of the new fire, which takes place in all Roman Catholic churches on that day. As we saw, all the lights were extinguished on Wednesday, during the Matatino delle Tenebre, and they are relit on Easter even. In Florence, the light is obtained from a spark struck on a very precious flint stone in the ancient church of the Santissimi Apostoli. This flint stone, or rather stones, for there are three, has a very curious history. It was brought, with its companions, from the Holy Sepulchre by a member of the Paizzi family in the time of the Third Crusade, and ever since the Easter fire has been lit by it. When the tinder among which the spark falls has kindled, a candle is lit at the flame and placed in a potafuoco or lantern which is carried in procession at the end of a long pole to the Duomo, accompanied by municipal guards, flag-bearers and officers of the commune, clad in a quaint costume of red and white hose and jerkins. This procession passes through the streets shortly after 8am and is often interrupted as one after another begs permission to light candles to be burned at their own private shrines from that in the Portafuoco. At last it reaches the Duomo, where it is met by the clergy of the cathedral. Then the great Pascal candle, which stands on the gospel side of the altar, is lit from the flame, as well as the other lights. Soon afterwards, an enormous four-storied car, known as the Caroccio, drawn by a quartet of magnificent white oxen, with gilded horns and hoofs, and splendid trappings of scarlet, appears in the piazza, and takes up its position in front of the Duomo. This car is literally bristling with fireworks. The oxen are unyoked and led away, and soon the pompieri, or firemen, who are in charge, are busy fixing a wire between the caroccio and a stand which is erected near the altar of the great church, the western doors of which are thrown wide open. Meanwhile the piazza is thronged with people, many of whom have come from the adjoining villages, and wait eagerly for the omen which is to tell them what kind of harvest they may look forward to. At half-past eleven the archbishop celebrates mass, and as twelve o'clock strikes, 
The Gloria in Excelsis is chanted by the choir. Instantly all the bells of the city ring out, and, as if frightened by the clamour, an artificial columbina or dove flies along the wire and touches the car, then returns to its refuge in the cathedral. At its touch the fireworks explode, for it carries a lighted fuse in its bosom. The fireworks are superb, and the noise is deafening, but to the country folk at least, the principal thing to be observed is how the Columbina conducts herself. If her flight is straight, the year's harvest will be an ample one. If she wobbles, the prospects are poor. If Easter morning in Florence is fine, nothing can be more beautiful. Everything speaks of joy and gladness, the tender green of the trees, and the delicate tints of the spring flowers which meet us at every corner, the merry chiming of the church bells, and the triumphant pealing of the organs which ring out through the open doors of the churches, the joyous laughter of little children, heard over garden walls, as they search in the bushes for Easter eggs, fishes and chickens, which they know they will find there while in the general gladness the dome of the cathedral seems to be rosier than usual and its walls whiter and giotto's tower seems to greet us with a blessing of peace as it meets us like the angel of the resurrection waiting to announce the risen lord on ascension day a very popular festa is held in the cascine this is the giorno dei grilli or day of the crickets as a rule, the weather is delightful, and everyone gets up very early and goes out into the park, where the primary business is to catch one of the grilli, or black field crickets, that hop about among the long grass. This feat having been accomplished, and the little creature enclosed in one of the tiny cages formed of buckwheat straw, which are sold in hundreds on the spot, the rest of the forenoon is wild pleasantly away in the green park-like spaces, or under the shade of the trees. Then comes merenda, or luncheon, which is taken al fresco, either at one of the numerous little open-air restaurants, or, if the family party have brought their own provisions, sitting at ease on the ground. After lunch, everyone flocks back to the town, carrying their grilli with them, to be taken home, or given as a present to some favoured friend. No matter where its destination may be, the subsequent movements of the grilla are watched with intense interest, for in Etruscan and Grecian times the little creature was regarded as a type of human life, and certain superstitions linger round it even to the present day. If it chirps loudly as it is carried over the threshold of its new abode, good luck will pursue the inhabitants during the coming year. If it lives and thrives in captivity, which it very rarely does, their lives will be long, and vice versa. It is considered a portent of great happiness if a grilla caught on Ascension Day survives till Corpus Christi. Another children's festa, which, however, is dying out, is the Fiera Colne, or Feast of the Lanterns, which falls on the 7th of September. At this festa, the children in the poorer parts of the city run about after dark with little lanterns made of coloured paper, stretched on canes, and fashioned to represent some familiar object, such as a boat, a globe, a fish, or a bell. The last feast of the ecclesiastical year is the Feast of All Saints, which, on the morrow, merges into that of All Souls. All Saints is a great festival. 
all the shops are shut, all the bells rung, and everyone turns out in their best attire to do honour to their dead. After mass, which takes place very early in the morning, all the inhabitants of the city, men, women and little children, throng across the bridges and up the narrow pathway known as the Via Crucis, which leads through the olives to the church and churchyard of San Miniato, which is the great necropolis of Florence. Everyone carries flowers in one form or another, from the most elaborate wreaths and crosses to the simple poses held in baby hands, for the Roman church has never relinquished the ancient belief in the communion of saints. Therefore to her children, the day of the dead is no gloomy commemoration, but a joyous festival, when heaven and earth come very near together, and living and departed rejoice in one common hope. So the graves must be wreathed in flowers, and candles lit upon them, which glimmer pale and shadowy in the sunlight, but which glow brighter and brighter as daylight declines, and shine out with steady light when the short day has ended, and darkness has fallen. End of chapter 7